Good morning. Let's open up our Bibles together. We are in Isaiah today. If you're visiting, uh, we are kicking off this our first week in a four-week series through Advent, and we are looking at Christmas uh, in Isaiah. So Christmas through the prophet Isaiah. Today we are in Isaiah chapter 9. If you do not know where Isaiah is in the Bible, do not feel guilty. Start at the Psalms. The end of the Psalms, you got Ecclesiastes. After Ecclesiastes, you got Song of Solomon. Oh, actually, Proverbs. I skipped Proverbs. Somebody looked at me like, Joe doesn't know the Bible. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, and then we've got Isaiah. So we are going to look at Isaiah chapter 9 today. We are in Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to look at verses uh, 1 through 7 of Isaiah chapter 9. This is God's holy word. As, as always, if you don't have a Bible, please pick one up over in the resource table so you can follow along. So we're at Isaiah chapter 9. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them is light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling, warrior in battle, tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it, with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray and ask for God's blessing on our time. Father, as we open up uh, the prophet Isaiah and, and consider his message, Lord, we pray uh, that you would help us to see Jesus in all of this. Uh, we, we pray, God, that you would help us to uh, just empathize and relate with the struggles that were going on with your people when this message was first proclaimed, how relevant and applicable it is to us today, but then also the hope, the love, the, the grace, the mercy that is, is in this message, that a child was going to come and change everything, and that child has come, and he has indeed changed everything. So we would pray that you would help us to make much of Jesus in our time this morning. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, do you long for some good news? Do you prefer positive, uplifting stories or sad, discouraging, and depressing? Who's for the positive? Raise your hand. Who likes sad, discouraging? Just a few people in the back. Thank you, Tama. I caught you. Now I embarrass you. I mean, reality, when somebody comes up to us and they says, I have good news and bad news, we want to just hear the good news, right? Like, like, why'd you have to share the bad news part? Uh, 2020, obviously, was a really easy year for everybody. Uh, pandemic, COVID. Well, during 2020, in the middle of it-ish, 
Uh, a pretty well-known actor, John Krasinski, what he ended up doing was he started a YouTube show. It was called uh, Some Good News. Literally, Some Good News was the name of the show. In the midst of closures and social distancing and all of the stuff that was going on in our country, he was like, I think there's a need for us hearing something encouraging. So there's some good news, had wedding announcements, uh, baby announcements. It had this, this one particular story, a young high school girl uh, had battled months through treatment for cancer and her whole neighborhood, all of her high school basically lined their cars up. So driving through the neighborhood, it was like a parade to get to her house and people are waving and there's signs. And it was so encouraging seeing like everybody's support of this girl who just battled successfully through cancer. Uh, he also did even a prom online. So kids were kind of bouncing between different uh, people's Zoom cameras. You saw them because they couldn't have prom because of everything. But I had a lot of success in a very short term. And I think why is because living in this fallen, sin-damaged world, we long for some good news. I mean, even picking up uh, not literally the paper, but this morning, uh, I have a tendency when I wake up, one of the first things I do to kind of keep in the loop of life and the world is I will go on to various websites to check news, uh, nationally, local, and it's just every day it's filled with sad story, murder, kidnapping, uh, division, politics, all, it's just, it, it's just awful. And I think we long for good news. We actually not just long for it, we wonder if it even exists out there. Is it even possible to hear something encouraging, uplifting? And friends, here's the good news we have. We got some good news. And that's like the understatement of the year. We've got great news, and our passage is going to highlight today that there's hope for the hopeless. There's joy for those who are in despair because a child came and changed everything. And that's what we're going to wrap our, our hearts and minds, Lord willing, around today as we see the some good news in the coming of Jesus. Uh, if you're taking notes, uh, we're going to look at two avenues for good news in our passage today, all right? We're going to begin, we're going to see some good news out of the historical context. And this is really going to set the stage for the remainder of the next four weeks as we go through Isaiah. Because it's important to understand what the prophet's context is and this message that he proclaimed. And then secondly, we're going to see some good news of the Holy Child. Uh, the, the importance, the significance of Jesus uh, coming on the scene as a child. So let's begin as we look at some good news out of the historical context. As I said, we need to set the story in history. I think one of the reasons, and I, I say this often, I know I sound like a broken record, we go through books in the Bible so that you guys will develop a biblical literacy. So you'll understand, because one of the great dangers that we have with the Bible is we can extrapolate a Bible verse and completely take it out of context. We can kind of shape it and shift it to mean whatever we want it to mean in the moment. So it's easy even in here, as we look at this chapter, to really not know what is going on. Like, why is he saying what he's saying? So we're, we're going to set the stage so we can appreciate ultimately what Isaiah and God is doing here. Well, as we, we begin, I want us to see that there are bad times all around. Bad times 
all around. Uh, We'll start up actually in the previous chapter, verse 21 of chapter 8. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry, and when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God, and they will turn their faces upward, and they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness, but there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter times, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. First of all, we see lots of tribulation that they're coming out of. Because we're going to see this change that happens, but we first need to, to camp out with what was going on. Uh, what word is probably the most used word in those verses? Starts with a D. Darkness. It's going to often be equated with evil, with, with wickedness. They were having bad days. I mean, have you ever had like a really bad day? I think we went around and got, everybody got mic time, got to come up and share a bad day. I think we've all had some bad days. Maybe you woke up, your alarm, you ignored, so you're late. You go out to your car, your car doesn't start, so you're later. You finally get your car going. As a result, you're driving a little bit faster. All of a sudden, you look in your rearview mirror. It's a police officer. Now you're getting a ticket. So you got a ticket. You get to work. You realize you forgot that, that important paper you needed to bring for a, a proposal or for a project you had at work. So now you're unprepared. You, have to, you get in trouble. You end up eating something that doesn't uh, agree with you. And all of a sudden you have an upset stomach. I mean, just the list goes on and on. We've all had those kind of what we say Murphy's Law, like when it rains, it pours. Nothing is going well. And all of those are more inconvenience days. But I think we've also had bad days. Days when you were given news that changed the course of your life. Those days where you lost a loved one. Uh, Those days where uh, there's relational strife and conflict that it's going to take months, years to ever see maybe even full restoration and, and healing in the relationship. I think we've all had those kind of days. It's those kind of days that the Israelites are going through in, in this passage. You can look earlier, chapter 7 and 9. Uh, at this point, bad kings have become the norm. If you're visiting, we've been going through 2 Samuel. We went through 1 Samuel. So far, we've only dealt with two kings. Saul, not a good king. David, kind of a good king. But we just saw last week him commit adultery and have a person murdered, so like not the best, the king. Well, that's like the high point. It's going to get bad, and these kings are going to be awful. It's going to consistently say that they did what is, was, uh, was evil in the eyes of the Lord. Well, currently, in this context, they have this one king. His name's Ahaz. He's a bad king. He's not good. God is gracious, though. God is compassionate. Uh, God is merciful, and he tells Ahaz, because Ahaz sees, and so in 721 BC, the Assyrians are coming, taking the northern tribes and, and exile. And Ahaz is seeing all this unfolding, and he is afraid because it's Judah. And he's like, 
oh, what do I do? Like, I'm afraid they're going to come take us. God says, don't worry about it. I got you. Just trust in me. He's like, actually, like, why don't you ask for a sign, Ahaz? Ask for a sign, and I'll give you a sign to show that you can trust in me. He says, no, thank you. I don't need a sign. Well, God's like, I'm going to give you a sign anyhow. And the sign is going to, we'll read it a little bit later, is a virgin birth. That a child is going to come, virgin birth, a la Jesus, is, is the promise. But what he ends up doing instead is he ends up partnering with a foreign nation. Because he feels like if I, if I handle my business that way, that will keep me safe rather than be safe with God. Well, God does not like unfaithfulness, and judgment will eventually happen. You can look later, 2 Kings 16 kind of unpacks all of this. But that, this is kind of the norm, that they have kings that are unfaithful, they have people that are unfaithful, idolatry is rampant. It is a dark, awful time amongst the Israelites. And it feels like, it, it seems like, God's promises are going to, not be fulfilled. You remember what we looked at a few weeks back? 2 Samuel seven sixteen. Your house, David, and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And right here, right now, where this message of judgment that Isaiah proclaims comes, it's not a time of apparent glory in God, of God, of his reign. It, it's, it's a tragic time. Well, can you relate with that? Can you relate with those times of anguish, those hard times, those times where it feels like, even though you know it might not be true, it feels like God has taken the day off, that God has disappeared, that God is not listening to you. That is where this message is coming. Because it's not just lots of tribulations. I think at the end of the day, what we see in all of this is lots of teaching moments by God. And it's teaching moments that we as students do not like to learn. One, we see in the midst of all this that God is disciplining. You understand that? God is not doing this to a bunch of good, faithful people. God is disciplining those. They are reaping what they've sown. You and I, what, do we reap what we sow? We do sometimes, don't we? I stepped on the scale after Thanksgiving, all-time high weight. Oh my goodness. So for the next three days, I ate awesome this week. I was, I mean, pat myself on the back, really good. And then I, I was at Big B. I meet, Andy and I meet once a week. And I was like, you know what would be a good idea? 20-ounce, really sweet, sugary, chocolate drink. Because I've ate good, right? I drank this like 1,500 calorie drink. About as soon as I got to the car after I left Andy, I was like, oh my goodness, did not feel good. And I reaped what I sowed the rest of the day. This is them with their sin. They're reaping what they sown. And we've seen it in the life of David. God will allow us to reap what we sow because of our sin. And what we're going to see is the land that first goes into exile is the land even mentioned here, Zebulun and Naphtali. It'd be the northern part. So imagine somehow, some way, America was going into exile and it started from the west and immediately it hit California. It's, that's kind of like geographically what we're talking about. So they go into exile. God judges. It's deep darkness. Sin involved. 
Not only that, though, in the midst of this kind of lesson-wise, guess who's aware of all this? Yahweh. None of this is catching God off at all. You understand that? Listen to even the language. He's active in the circumstances. It says, he brought into contempt the lands of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. It's not the Assyrians at the end of the day who did this. This was God. This was punishing them. God is active. He's aware of their circumstances. Consider Psalm 56 verse 8. You have kept count of my tossings. That's my tears. You put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? And I think what we need to hear today, especially if you're in that place where it's a time of suffering, time of affliction, times of doubt, times of fear, times of anxiety, you need to know that God knows where you are today. He's aware. He's not caught off guard. He, he, he knows what he is doing in your midst. And not only is he aware, he, what we see in all of this is God delays. And we don't like that. You and I, let's, let's be honest, we like things fast. We like things quick. We like things easy. For a while, Staples had a commercial, the easy button, where they'd come with various problems. You hit the easy button, fix. Who here would like a real life easy button? Yeah, I mean, cancer, easy button. Problems with my children, easy button. Problems in marriage, easy button. And then boom, it's fixed. And God's easy button is a slow, long, often drawn out process. And we see that here. Quick fix, you know, this message, judgment, exile, and then there's this promise of this child. How many years does this take? Three, right? No, 30, no, 300, no, like five to 600 years from the time of this message before this child comes. And then you can argue, as we'll look a little bit later, even the fulfillment of everything that is promised here is only partial when the child comes. The fullness of it, you and I are still in the waiting process. So now we're talking about 25, 2,600 years of waiting on God, doing what he says he's going to do. And that's sometimes how God works. Lazarus is sick. What does he do? He rushes to Lazarus' side. It says he waited two more days. Abraham, he's waiting, right, with his wife, waiting to have a kid. 25 years later, that child comes. So I have to ask, are you growing impatient with God today? Are you struggling to trust him? Because if you are, this passage is good news for you. This passage is relevant, it's applicable, it's a, it's a message of comfort to us that in the midst of the anguish, in the midst of the, the waiting, our God is loving us, he's caring for us, and he's got a good news coming. Because that's it. Not only do we see bad times all around, yet there are good times ahead. There are good times ahead. Read verse three with me. You have multiplied the nation. 
You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Talk about drastic change from what we just looked at. Anguish, darkness, gloom, deep darkness. A few weeks back, there was a storm of epic proportions in Buffalo. They got like six to seven feet of snow. Can you even, I can't even wrap my mind around that kind of snow. And it was wild because not even that far, there was kind of like a line geographically from where the storm hit and where the snow did not hit that much. And it looked like you were in two different countries when you would see the pictures of six to seven feet snow and a dusting. It, it didn't even look like it was such a comparison. And that's kind of like the, the, the amazing contrast that we have here. You have gloom, anguish, darkness, deep darkness, sin, evil, despair, awful. And then all of a sudden, you have joy, freedom, peace. Light. This is Psalm 30, verse 11. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth. You have clothed me with gladness. He mentions here the idea of harvest time. Why is harvest time good? Because you finally get to reap what you've sown. All of that hard work, all of that labor, all of that sacrifice, you are finally receiving a bounty. You're receiving the bounty of the food. You're receiving the bounty of all the food that you're going to get from the harvest. Also, the idea even talks here about the spoil after battle, increased possessions. He talks here in verse 4 about the yoke of his burden, the staff on his, of his shoulder. When we start thinking about yoke and stuff and burden, we think of what word? Oppression, slavery. Could the Israelites relate with that in their history? There was that place they went to one time, Egypt. And God did what? He delivered them. And that's the message here, that their oppression is going to be ending. Out of slavery, in verse 5, uh, trampling warriors in battle and their garments rolled in blood, their burned as fire. It's the idea that there will be no more conflict, no more war, no need for warriors fighting. What a drastic change. Doesn't that sound like a good change? Isn't that an exciting change, the future hope this morning? Isn't that something we long for? Don't you long for a day where there is no more war? There's no more strife, no more battle. Don't you long for a day where there's no more oppression? We don't have to support the Aruna Project because there's no girls in human trafficking. Don't you long for a day where joy and freedom and peace and light our center stage. And that's what God promises here. That's what's coming. But not only is it a drastic change, it comes with divine certainty. Read the end of verse 7 with me. It says, The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. If you notice when we read this passage now, I read it in the very beginning before we started 
and I, I've read parts of it now. There's something odd, there's something different of the tense that Isaiah speaks of. And what I mean by this is Isaiah speaks about the future as though it has come to pass. You and I, we don't do that, right? Why? How confident are you of the future? I mean, think about it. Even weather predictions. There's a local weatherman that works out here. And I always feel bad for him because, like, if it's a day that they messed up the prediction, like, everybody's got an opinion with this poor guy. Like, I would have headphones on. I would wear, I would be in disguise. He doesn't. And people, I've even heard people come up and says, whoa, you missed the snow. And that one, he's, like, really gracious. He smiles. He's like, yeah. And, like, you know, he's like, oh, my goodness, people. Because we don't. Because we don't know. We don't talk about the future as though it's coming to pass. Because if you do, it comes off very, what, arrogant, very pompous. You make these bold uh, predictions, and then they don't. And yet, he speaks like that. Why does he speak like that? Because it's not his prediction, right? This isn't Isaiah's guessing of the future. No, it's Yahweh's promise of things to come. Luke 2, verse 10, it says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto us is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So when he says that this baby is born, what he's saying is not just a baby is born. A baby is born that is going to come and is going to save the world. A baby is born that is one day going to die on the cross for people's sins, and he's going to come back in glory. That is what is happening. This is the truth. That's why wise men and shepherds show up and, and, and spoil the child with praise and worship. Because why? Because this is really happening. This isn't a possibility. This is a certain fulfillment. And why can we guarantee that? Because God is the one that's going to make this happen. Is there any chance that all of this will come to fruition. First of all, it's partially, as I said, 2022, this is partial fulfillment. Because the child came, right? That we're going to look at in a little bit. He came. He lived a perfect life. He, he, he went to the cross. He conquered death. And he ascended to heaven. And guess what? He's coming back. So when I say partial, that's the, the now element. The not yet part is when all of this comes to, to glory and fruition. And notice what it says. He says the zeal of the Lord. Zeal is commitment. Zeal is passion on God's part. If God says he's going to do it, is God going to do it? And we've talked about this over the years. You and I, at best, are partial promise keepers. Because we do. We make these promises that sometimes you can't guarantee. You can't deliver on. And yet God doesn't do that. Isaiah 42, verse 13. It says, the Lord goes out like a mighty man, like a man of war. He stirs up his zeal. He cries out. He shouts aloud. He shows himself mighty against his foes. Or are you struggling today with fear, with anxiety, with worry? Is God going to abandon you? He will never leave you nor forsake you. Is, is our world, is our culture going to win at the end? No, no. The heavens are the throne. The earth is his footstool. The nations laugh and, 
and, and think they can plot and scheme against God, but he laughs in return. Friends, I, I know everything is not how we want it to be. I know uh, the landscape of our culture and society isn't what you desire, but at the end of the day, God's got this. And we can rest and have confidence and assurance in that. So we see that good news, even out of this historical context, bad times when good times are ahead. Well, let's look at the good news of the holy child because it's really the answer of how is this going to happen? Is this his wishful thinking? Is this a, a pipe dream? It, it's like it, everything, I mean, I remember my grandma, no matter how bad things were, she would always say, uh, Grandma Helen, she would always say, it's going to be okay. It's gonna, I'm like, I don't know if it's going to be okay, Grandma. She's like, it's, it's going to be okay. And most of the time, she was, she was right. Well, this time, it's not going to be okay. It's going to be great because of this child. Well, let's look at this holy child. Because first of all, he's the holy child that we need. He's the one who we need. Read verse 6 with me. As for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be on his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Notice, first of all, that this child is one that is given to us. Did you hear that? He's, he's, he's given. He is, a, he is a gift. Isaiah seven fourteen, as I mentioned earlier, he says to Ahaz, hey, I've got a sign for you. And this is the sign. The Lord himself will give you a sign Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. All right, so uh, two weeks from now, Friday, you are at work and your boss gives you an envelope and says, hey, in light of Christmas, I just, I thought this was the right thing to do. And he gives you the envelope. Let's be honest, we're kind of excited, right? Like, sweet, like, kind of all giddy, like, what's it going to be? So you, you don't want to look awkward. So like, thank you, I appreciate that. You wait till you get out in your car, you open up your envelope, and it's your paycheck. You're like, what? Like, what? Why would you be kind of a, a perturbed by that? Why? Because you just worked however, whatever your pay is you know, is two weeks, weekly. Did he do anything special for you by giving you your paycheck? No, he gave you what was earned, what you deserved. And it's not really a gift in that sense, it's wages. And what we see here in this idea of a child being given, a son being given, this is not wages, this is grace. This is, this is mercy. That's why John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he, say it with me, he gave his son. Romans 8, 32, it says, he who did not spare his own son. Translation, he gave his son. He didn't spare his child. And what we see in this, with this child coming, it's, 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 it really humbles our pride. We needed help outside of ourselves. We couldn't do it. We, our greatest need was something that was impossible for us 
to provide for ourselves. We needed a savior. We needed somebody to redeem us. And I, I have to ask you today, do you see your need for this gift? Does this kind of bore you? Like, ah, baby Jesus, blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't think you appreciate Christmas till you see the need. Because even the message we're hearing that they were in, it was despair, oppression, darkness. You woke up, went to bed with that, and guess what? The next day, you woke up with despair and darkness, and it seemed like it was never going to end. They get exiled, and guess what they have? Despair and darkness. We love the verse, Jeremiah 29. I understand the plans I have for you, plans for you to, to prosper and have a hope and thirst, and we put them on bumper stickers, and we put them on walls in your house, and you know what the theme and the message and the context of those words are? Exile. If you keep going down those same verses in Jeremiah 29, you know what he says? Your kids are going to have kids in exile because I love you so much. And friends, we don't, we, we don't understand how much despair sin has caused in your life and in my life and how desperately we need Jesus. And that's why this message is so joyful and glorious and hopeful because we needed it so much. So we need, to, we need to get to the point in our lives where we see the need in order to appreciate the grace. And that's what we see here. He's the, he's the given one, but he's not just the given one. He's the wise one. That first title, that first name we see, he is Wonderful Counselor. Now, as I said, we've been going through 2 Samuel. We've seen two kings so far, and we're starting to see a pattern with kings we need a better king. We're starting to see a, 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 a problem with the kings, and the kings do not make good, what? Decisions, unfortunately. So this, this word where it says wonderful counselor, it's a Hebrew word. Uh, it, it's derived from miracle, so it's wonder. It's supernatural. So what we start seeing is that this, this child is going to be this Really supernatural, wonderful, remarkable, discerning leader that's going to come along. Have you ever had a bad leader? Come on, everybody nod your head. You've worked for somewhere where your boss was awful. You've played sports where you've had a bad coach. You've lived life. We've had Bad, and I'm not even going to go down a political path. Have we had some bad presidents over the year? Happens, right? How important is it to have a good leader? Right now, in initial context, King Ahaz, he is a bad king. We need a king who is wise. We need a king who leads rightly. And God says, guess what? He's a coming. The son I'm going to give, this child I'm going to give, he is going to lead in a way that nobody leads. Jeremiah 23, 5. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king, and he will deal wisely, and he shall execute justice and righteousness. He will know what to lead and how to lead and, and when to lead. He will be a fountain of wisdom and discernment for his people and ultimately, we see fulfillment of that in Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1.30, And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. 
one we can go to and seek direction and discernment. Friends, we, we need King Jesus, and we have King Jesus. Isn't that good news? He's given us his spirit even, who also is called a counselor in the scriptures, that we have access to him. Think of that right now. As, as children of God, we can approach his throne of grace. When you're not sure what to do in life, you can ask him and he will guide and direct. We have his word to guide and direct. That is the glories of this Jesus, of this son, that he's a gift who gives. He's the wise one. But not only is he the, the, the holy child that we need, he is the holy child that God promised. Read verse six with me once again. So he goes on. From wonderful counselor, he is mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Notice that he is divine. Everlasting father. Now this gets a little tricky and dicey. Because immediately he's saying that this child is everlasting father. Let's think theologically, guys. This seems problematic. Why? Because the Trinity is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now, is he saying that the Son is also the Father? Is there some breakdown in the Trinity? I would say no. I think what he's saying here is in this language with kings, kings were synonymous with a father, like the fatherly figure of the nation. That all, but here's the difference. This father is everlasting. What's the problem of the father of all these kings? There's a pattern we see when we go through 1 Kings, 2 Kings, when we read Chronicles, the kings would live, they would rule for so many years, and then what would happen every time? They would, say it with me, they die. Kings die, people die. But yet this king is going to be everlasting. He's going to live forever. Not only is he a king like that, his name is Mighty God, that the child bored and this is crucial, this child is the God-man. We need to understand, it's not just uh, kind of the death sentence for Jesus in the gospel was his claims of deity. They hated his teaching. They hated his good deeds, his miracles. But the thing that broke them to the point that we've got to kill this guy is the, what they thought was the blasphemy that he considered himself God. And that's what we see here, that he's, he's mighty God. He's not God-like. No, he is God. He is God. He was God. He will always be God. That was the need for the virgin birth because he can't ultimately find his origin through uh, a normal man and a woman uh, coming together and then having a child because that child would by very nature only have a human nature. And yet this virgin birth, we were able to have the, the God man. We, we sing it during the holidays. Listen to lyrics by Charles Wesley. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Please this man with men to dwell. Jesus our Emmanuel. That's Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And when we start thinking about this as him being the, the, the God-man, I think you also have to come uh, to grips with the condensation, condensation, of, condensation of 
Jesus is accommodating that he stepped down from heaven. Philippians 2.7 says he emptied himself. John 1 says in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. And then it goes on and says he tabernacled amongst us. And that's the heart of the gospel that God came down so that you and I might go up. That God ultimately defeated sin. And only God could do that, right? Would a blind, would it be wise for a blind person to have a blind person lead them through a difficult uh, minefield? No. It would be really foolish. And God knew, due to sin, due to humanity, that you and I would never be able to fix or deal with the sin problem. That he had to have someone who was different, who could, while at the same time, identify and be in their place. And that's Jesus, that he's divine. He's the God-man. Are you grasping the uniqueness of Jesus? And friends, this stuff matters. I know some people, they get bored with theology. They don't like to talk about theology. It's just me and Jesus. That's great, but theology matters. Your perception, your view, your understanding of Jesus matters. And these are, this is non-negotiable, Jesus being the God-man, that he is fully divine, but also fully human. But not only is he divine, he is Davidic. And then we start seeing a lot of language about leadership, about ruling, about government. In verse 7, he says, Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. That he is the promised fulfillment of what we saw in 2 Samuel 7. That there's going to be somebody that sits on your throne, David, and he's going to rule and reign forever. And this child that comes is going to be that child. But the problem is the child did not fit the mold from the world's perspective. The child did not fit the expectation level. All right, I was able to figure it out through this door right behind you. The strongest man in the world is going to walk in right about now. Turn around, look. I think they're moving to the next door. So the next door, you have an idea of what that person's going to look like, right? They're coming in. They're going to be coming. Everybody looking. Person coming. I think I saw the person. Strongest man in Northwest Ohio. Look. Did that match your expectations? It did not match mine. Let's think about it. The strongest, if, if I told you that for real, what are you expecting that strong man to look like? He's going to be a little taller than Joe Hillrich. He's going to be a lot more muscles than Joe Hill. He's going to be big, strong. You're going to expect a tree to walk in. And even then, even then you're like, really? He's the strongest? So God promises this king, and then he becomes a baby? And he lives a perfect life, and then he's a carpenter, and instead of coming on a war horse, he rides on a donkey. It just, it doesn't, instead of him conquering the Roman Empire is what they were hoping and kind of crossing their fingers, instead he gets crucified by the Romans. They're saying he didn't, he didn't meet the need. He, he met the need, he didn't, he didn't meet the expectations of what the world wanted. 
But this king, he, he was that king. He is that king. He has dominion. It's the idea of the extent of his power, his might, his force, his sway, uh, that there is no place his reign doesn't reach. Think about that. There is no end. Kings come and go. This king will never end. So he will always rule and reign, and there's no end to where his kingdom reigns. Luke one thirty three says, He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. But let's, let's have a heart to heart. Does it feel like it today that that's true? I mean, we talked about, I mean, look at the news. Our world, let's just limit ourselves to the United States of America. It seems to be heading in the wrong direction spiritually. It seems to be going down the wrong path. It seems like the wicked prosper, the righteous suffer, go outside of the United States borders. It feels like that probably even more around the world. I mean, the reason we pray for these nations each month is because these nations are all places where the gospel is being severely uh, resisted and fought against and Christians are very much being persecuted. And in the midst of all that, doesn't it feel like we have a 12-year-old as the, the strongest man? In the, it doesn't feel like they're that strong. Like, where is God? But friends, regardless of what our eyes see, we know what our head and, and our heart understand is true based on God's word. Jesus is reigning. Jesus is ruling right now. Your hearts are beating, you're breathing, everything. The world is staying in orbit because God is ruling and reigning. Does that always mean, though, that everything is going to go according to our plans and that things are going to go? No. But what it does mean in the big picture of all of it that he will one day reign fully. One day it's going to cease to be like it is today. So are you longing for that return? When we went through the book of Revelation, I just, I love the last couple chapters of Revelation. They're just glorious. They're beautiful. And I, I, I love the, the words in 20 words. It says, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. That's our hope. So I said, this is a relevant message for you and I if you're going through a dark season in your life because it's a reminder that God is already king. And it's a reminder that he's a coming back. And we can have joy and meaning and significance in the interim, but it's going to get a whole lot better. Because I think at the end of the day, you and I, we long for something better, right? Don't we? Nobody gets sick and says, you know what? I hope I don't get better. Like, I kind of like the feeling of being sick. This is awesome. Like, I hope that cough never goes away. Wouldn't that be awesome? And my throat feels like sandpaper. Man, this is nice. Nobody says that. Nobody goes through financial difficulties like, you know, it's kind of nice not having any money. It's, it's, it's a lot less stressful. Nobody says that. Nobody going through a difficult time, maybe in a marriage, in a, a family relationship, maybe dealing with children. 
Nobody says, man, I wish we would fight more. I, I, I really hope and pray at no point do we stop having this bickering. We just don't know. In all of those situations, what do we hope for? What do we cross our fingers? What do we pray about? Like, God, I just, I want, I want it to get better. I, I, I want more. I think because innate within us, we long for something more. For life to be better, circumstances to be better. We want there to be hope. And friends, that is where we find ourselves in Isaiah. The original audience, like I said, darkness, despair, anguish, oppression, suffering. And God says, hey, I've got hope for you. A child's coming. It's actually not going to happen in your lifetime. It's going to be generations down. But you can even have hope now because one day I'm going to deal with all of this eternally and forever. So friends, if you're there today, you want more, you're longing more. One, you have it already in Jesus. There's hope for the hopeless, joy for despair. Everything changed with the coming of the child. But we do, even though we live this side of the cross, we also live in this world. And I know it's difficult, and I know it's a struggle, but don't lose heart. We have him. We have him to seek wisdom from. We have access to him. We have his spirit to guide and direct us. We have his word as a constant reminder of his promises. And I think at the end of the day in all of this, just as they, the original audience, was not home yet, you and I are not home yet. But guess what? He's going to come back one day and he's going to take us to be home. But until that day, find hope. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you uh, for the good news of this message. We pray, God, uh, that we would be a people who are not uh, bored uh, by your hope, that we have not taken it for granted. We, we pray, God, that you would ultimately uh, help us to be uh, those who are filled with that joy, that delight, uh, that happiness, like people waiting for the harvest uh, to finally uh, come. So we thank you for Jesus today. We pray in his precious name.